would please turn in the holy book to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 5 through 10. And if you would please follow with me in the reading of the word of the Lord. On behalf of such a man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast, except in regard to my weaknesses. For if I do wish to boast, I will not be foolish, for I will be speaking the truth. But I refrain from this, so that no one will credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Father, help us to hear these words of this amazing man. But Father, help us to understand that your grace is sufficient in every aspect of our lives. My King, my Lord, I thank you for this man, Paul, and that even us this day are fruit of him. So how amazing was his ministry? And yet, Father, how amazing was his affliction, his heartache, and his sorrow? Lord, I pray, I pray for every one of us here, that we understand the abundance of grace that is already given your children. And yet, Father, we understand in this life there is tribulation. And yet your grace will bring us through. Help us, King, to understand your use of suffering in our lives individually and in our lives collectively. To you, my Lord, my Savior, Christ's name, amen. I want you to think about this because it's easy for us every once in a while to kind of get away from it. Do we understand the depth of the Apostle Paul's heartache at this time? I mean, if you're if you keep the context, you've got four letters have been written by a church that he poured himself out in. Uh, between 18 to 20 months he was there, going from house to house, person to person, teaching and encouraging. He, in 1 Corinthians, the letter we have is 1 Corinthians, he told them that they were lacking nothing in spiritual gifts. They had it all. They had everything that they could ever dream of. They had deep theology. The Apostle Paul was the one who had given it to them. And yet, they had allowed um, their flesh to rise up, their pride to rise up, and when you have flesh and pride combined, when a false teacher shows up, you will embrace him. I can show you throughout the history of the church. It always happens the same. To the point that they could actually accuse the Apostle Paul of wrongdoing. And the people were believing it. How crushing could that be? How crushing is that? All right. So what we're doing is that if now I bring your context a little tighter now, chapter 10 through 13 is dealing with spiritual warfare. This is the war. 
It is for lofty ideas raised up against the true knowledge of Christ. Speculations. What if? Well, you know what? There's no such thing as what if. It either happened or it didn't. There's no, well, what if it would have? It didn't. And yet we have lofty ideas. I read an article the other day that 88% of evangelical Christians in the United States today believe that God created through evolution. Now you think about that for a second. I thought you had to have sin and then you had death. Well, evolution says you had death and then you had Sin. And so you would disagree with the Lord Jesus Christ, right? That doesn't sound like a real healthy place for me. And yet nobody says a thing. And and I've heard all of the excuses. Well, there's a gap between verses 1 and 2 of billions of years. A gap? That ain't a gap. That's a ditch. Okay? I don't understand this stuff. I mean, what does it say? I, I've had the privilege of traveling internationally and, and teaching. And they just look at it and say, thus saith the Lord. They're not trying to say, well, how does that fit into science? They could care less about science. Why? Has science ever made a mistake? I'm thinking science is a mistake. But anyway. But you see what I'm trying to get at? But all of a sudden, science is now is infallible. And the Bible is the error. Really? How did that come about? Well, I think it's the lack of what I call pulpit power. <laughs> okay? When I look at this and I think about the Apostle Paul in this text, I think about a man who's in a spiritual war and he knows he's in a spiritual war. I remember talking to a Russian pastor who had come out of socialism And he says, the tragedy with you guys are is that you're under greater spiritual warfare than we ever were. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, dude, you could go to prison for just having a Bible. How can we be under it? He says, see, under socialist, the communist, we knew who our enemy was. He says, in America, you have no idea who your enemy is. And I thought, you know what? He's right. We don't. And when you do take a stand... Katie, bar the door. Katie, bar the door. Okay? Paul was in his deepest disappointment. Paul was heartbroken. He had actually gone back to the church in Corinth on a surprise visit. People brought accusations against him, and the church did not defend him. Now, you think about that for a second. These people were so close to him. And yet they were his greatest disappointment. They had given him his greatest pain. His pain was both emotional and spiritual. Which he's already told us put him into a great depression. He had been rejected. He had been betrayed. Both the rejection and the betrayal had come from a supernatural force. They attacked, the supernatural entities had attacked that which was the single most important thing to him. And I think that's why we get away with it. The church is not important to us today. It's kind of amazing if you think about it. Verse 7 of this text 
gives us the definition of this suffering. To keep me from exalting myself, he says it twice, there is a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. The word torment there means to box it, to buffet me, to slap me around. The word thorn in the flesh is, can be a stake driven into my flesh to cause excruciating pain. And I can tell you where it came from. It was a messenger of Satan. An anglios of Satan. An angel of Satan who the Lord had instilled in the Apostle Paul's life to break his heart and to keep him from what? Exalting himself. And you got to be honest with it. He had had three personal visits from Christ and had one trip to heaven. It's a little easy to get a heady on that. I mean, you know, I ain't going to believe what I did this weekend. Right? But yet the Apostle Paul wasn't immune from it. The false had come into the church. They were tearing up the bride of Christ. And you know what? I have been in this community long enough to see this on a regular basis. <laughs> it's cyclical, what they say about everything. It's cyclical. And one of the things that I have learned about this is that we always want to look at the people. Who's causing the problems? We always go looking at the people. Well, such and such started this. Or such and such did this. Or such and such did that. Let me tell you something. It ain't ever the people. It ain't got nothing to do with the people. The people are the tool. Who's doing it? Okay? Now then, think about it from this perspective. What if God wants to tear apart a church to keep the pastor humble? Because that's what's going on in Corinth. The Apostle Paul, to keep him from exalting himself. Look at my success. Look at the church I've planted. Look at what I've done. And God did what? You can't take that out of the mix here, people. And yet that is spiritual warfare. Why? What if people in the church have a pride problem? Well, it's easy. God will humble them. And if he has to, he'll tear the thing apart. See, you and I have bought in. Remember I told you there are speculations and lofty things raised up? Let me give you a lofty thing that, you know, it's easy to go with the evolution. It's in, in some of the turmoils that we see in our going on right now in the evangelical church. But let me tell you one that the church has completely missed. And has missed for a long time in this country specifically. The church believes that God brings nothing but good times. And the devil brings nothing but bad times. So if you're going through a bad time, then Satan's got you. And if you're going through good times, then you and Jesus are skipped to do life through the tulips. Let me tell you something. Good and bad all come at the will of God. I don't care what they are. I will also tell you this, either by my time with the Apostle Paul or the time that I have in my life right now, that the bad tend to be far more productive than the good. I see in the Apostle Paul, and I know for a fact in my life, that... 
the bad times is where I have seen my greatest growth. Count it all joy. Really? How about you count it all joy and I'll watch? Ain't nobody signs up for that trip. You know, it's through the pain and suffering that my faith will grow. Well, how about yours grows and I'll take notes? Was given a thorn by God for five reasons. One, to reveal his spiritual condition. Verses five and six. To reveal his spiritual condition. Okay? Not only to the individual will they see the spiritual condition, but those who are around them will see the spiritual condition. And he will get to the place where he says that I will not be credited with more than what he sees in me or hears from me. Uh, We tend to have some braggadocious pulpits around. And uh, they... It's funny because if you call it exaggeration, they get offensive about it and they'll smile at you and say, well, it's hyperbole. What's the difference other than the spelling? I'm trying to make you think I'm more than what I am. The Apostle Paul has seen Christ three times face to face here on the planet Earth. And then he had to go to heaven one time. And you know what? You think about that for a second. He was taught personally in the Arabian desert by Christ himself. He's seen him in prison when he was in prison in Philippi with Silas. Okay. He's seen him on the Damascus road. Okay. And yet, you know what? Think about what shaped the Apostle Paul to the man he was. I want you to think about this. This is as practical as it gets. Let me tell you, I love you guys to death, but it is not the mountaintops where you grow. It's the valley. It is the pain. It is the suffering. And if you go look at the Apostle Paul, it was not seeing Christ three times and then going to heaven once. That did not. Remember, we already looked at it. He says, it is no profit. It has no benefit. It doesn't account for nothing. You can go look at Colossians chapter 2. The whole thing says, no, this doesn't do anything for you. I don't care what your experience is. It is for you. It was very personal to you. It is God for you. And you know what? It accomplishes nothing for the edification of other saints. But it may be telling you, Dude, there is a serious valley headed your way. But know that I am faithful. Because the Apostle Paul was told immediately with his first vision of Christ, you will suffer much. That's a little tough. You know, if you weigh that out, well, I'll just wait till I see him in heaven. (laughs) I don't want to suffer much. I just want to get out of this thing without any road rash. Listen. God does not want us free from suffering. God does not want us free from sorrow. 
That's heaven. You want that? We have an ongoing joke in the church that people don't want me to pray for healing. Because if I'm true to Scripture, healing is in the presence of the Lord. Do you want me to pray for your healing? Oh, you sound harsh. Really? Have you looked at heaven lately? Check it out, what the Bible says about it. It sounds like a pretty good place. Better than Cleveland, but anyway. I can say that I'm from Ohio. Here, break. You guys look at me like I can't. I can say that. I've been to Cincinnati too. <laughs> Call it heads or tails. No, I'll go to Columbus. <laughs> so anyway. Trials have a perfecting work. They reveal our spiritual condition. Secondly, they also make us humble. You know, I haven't seen a lot of books on being humble. Have you noticed that? You can go to the Christian bookstore and where's the humble aisle? And you, you won't. I've only seen one book. A guy named Mahaney wrote it on humility. And that's the only book that I've ever seen written on humility. It's not a bad book. Paul says, you know what? It isn't I'm going to take a stand on visions or revelations or experiences. God wants me humble. And it will be through my suffering. He's qualifying himself as an apostle. Why? Because even in the trials and the tribulations, I keep pressing on. You know, one of the things I've learned about false teachers, their message will adapt to whatever keeps them from getting into trouble. No matter what it takes, even if it takes trouble in the church, your faith and your humility, brokenness, is what is going to be useful to God. Because, see, I, I, you, you may not understand this, and you may think you're above it. But if something positive happens to you in your ministry, you will take credit for it. I don't care who you are. So if you stay in a place of brokenness, in a place of suffering, in a place of pain, how much credit are you going to take? Because you will take credit for it. You will. I've seen it. He gives us grace to be humble. But he also draws us to himself. In your greatest time, the greater your time of suffering, the greater your trial, the greater your pain, the greater your heartache, isn't your prayers greater? Right? Why? Because you've run out of possibilities. You've run out of rope. And you will draw into an intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ that you didn't have at the beginning of the quote-unquote valley of the shadows. The thing I really want to deal with is I want to deal, and I laid the foundation for this last week on grace because I have watched the perversion of grace. The fourth thing that God uses suffering in our lives for 
is to display his grace. Let me show you my grace. Uh, you'll have to go back to the message last week. I think it's online and, and, and hear that one because that lays the foundation. What I would call the definition of grace. Okay, look what it says here. He says, he had gone to the Lord, verse 8 says, I've gone to the Lord, I implored him three times that it, this would leave me, this messenger of Satan, which was crushing my heart. And he said to me, okay, interesting in the original language, it's perfect tense. You know what that means? Set answer. Perfect tense. Three times I went to the Lord, and guess what? I got the same answer all three times. Three times. Come on, man. Get this away from me. A messenger from Satan. I'm being overwhelmed here. It's a stake in me. It's painful. It's heartache. And three times I get the same answer. It's kind of cool when I think about it. Because it's like the Lord saying, Paul... I hear you. Paul, I'm not going to remove it. I'll turn up the grace. See, God answers. He answers them all. I don't care what you ask him. He answers. But you know what? Very seldom does he answer by removing the pain. Anybody encouraged yet? Because the Lord knows that pain in our lives is productive. It's productive. He says, Paul, I'm not removing the trouble. Because I know that it shows the truth of the man. It shows the truth of the individual. It will humble the individual. And it will draw that individual to me. Why would I remove that? God says, I'm not going to remove it, but I shall increase the grace. The grace will take care of the pain. Paul and us will endure, and we will endure by God's grace. See, it's, it's, it's bizarre in our society today because... I hear people consistently wanting God to give relief. And God always gives relief, but it's not by removing, but by the sufficiency of the strength of His grace that you go through it. I had a uh, friend of mine was killed a couple of weeks ago on a motorcycle. His body was missing for about a week. They couldn't, couldn't find him. Uh, he had married a lady who was a very... Ardent churchgoer. Went to church a lot. Always involved in the church. Has raised in the church. And went through all of this. And all of a sudden her husband was leaving uh, Castle Rock. And was supposed to meet family in Breckenridge. And he vanished. They had no idea. He was riding his motorcycle up. And we, we don't know. She went to her pastor. Six days into this. And told her pastor that she'd been in her church. And she's in her 60s. She'd been in her church since she was eight. That's the magic age, I guess. 
And she says, you know what? I've concluded I don't know Jesus Christ. And she asked that she would be saved. The next day, his body was found in the Platte River. It's not exactly how you'd plan it, is it? Why didn't you just go to a Billy Graham revival? But it's through that suffering. And they had this amazing worship service for his funeral. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Two pastors, they preached the gospel. I didn't hear nothing about him. They didn't say, you know, he was a kind father, a good husband, a good provider. They didn't say nothing. It was Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. It's amazing. That's what I want, I'm, want mine. I don't want nobody to talk about me. I'm an idiot. Yeah, break. Spend a half an hour with me. Like, what a buffoon. I don't want to hear about me. Nobody else wants to hear about me. Let's hear about the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amen. And that guy's hanging out with him now, and I'm coveting. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that's, that's, just a, that's just a mind-boggling thing for me. And yet, you think about it, how long in that week's time, the heartache she has to have. God gives relief, but it's not by removing the pain. It is by the sufficiency of the strength of His grace. Here's something that I believe that the evangelical church in the United States is clueless of. The greatest power on the planet right now is God's grace. We don't look at grace as powerful. It's sort of like a little present. It's under the tree. I'm going to go open up a little box of grace. Listen, we find it in weird times and weird senses. In Acts 16, the Apostle Paul is in stocks with Silas. Okay, The stocks are not the same as what you think of. They stretch you out as far as they can and then they lock you in. Your arms and your legs. It's all painful. It hurts. Okay? They're in the jail, stretched out to the muscles in their shoulders, their pecs, and their, in their legs, their hamstrings. All are hurting. And what are they doing? They're singing. Why? Grace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ was enough to endure. We will never know that grace unless we are called for it. You can't understand it. You can talk about it. I can preach on it. But until you have the suffering, you ain't got a clue. I watched my mom bury two husbands. One, she was very young. She was in her late 30s. Surprise. Took him to the hospital. Three days later, she was a widow with two boys and a part-time job. It was the first time I ever saw the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I watched her bury my stepdad. And his grace was on such display, you just kind of want to just sit there and smile. I won't say nothing. Look. The joy of that grace. We must have it so we can understand what Paul was dealing with so that we will understand it when we walk into it. See, I listen, I, I'm, not a, I'm not stupid here. I understand the human side. I want the stake out of my flesh. It hurts. I see the valley of the shadows. Is there a detour? Can, can, I, can I get around this little thing here? I can honestly tell you as 21 years as a senior pastor in this church, I can never think of anything that I've had greater heartache in than this. Comes and goes. And you know what? There's nothing you can do about it. And it's funny because I've learned that as a pastor, you're supposed to have all the answers. And you know what? Half the times I don't even know what all the questions are. But it's the most painful job I've ever done in my life. And yet I know His grace. Why? His grace can remove the crushing heartache of regardless of what's going on. I think about how the Corinthian church had hurt the Apostle Paul so intensely. I cannot imagine making a surprise visit to this very dear church and people stand up and make accusations about me and the church doesn't defend me. And yet I was the one who planted it. I don't understand that. God says, no, I'm going to leave the stake in your flesh. And you will see the increase in the abundance of my grace. In the middle of all of this grace, you'll give me the glory. In all of this grace, people will see the greatness of your God and the strength of your faith. Because it's all out of your control now. You can back up just a little while ago, actually a few years ago when we were studying 1 Corinthians. Chapter 10, very common verse. We're all aware of it. No temptation has overtaken you, but that that is common to man. Do you understand what that means? You ain't special. <laughs> okay? Whatever the trial that you're in is not uncommon. And God is faithful. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but will be with the temptation, will provide a way of escape also so that you may be able to endure it. What is that? Grace. God's grace. It's common to man. Listen, I, I'm, I'm going to try to encourage you today. You ready? Trials will come. But you know what? So will the grace to endure it. While you are enduring it, you will experience the majesty of His grace. And you will rejoice. You will sit there with this goofy grin on your face. And everybody's wondering why I think they've, they're doing drugs or something. It doesn't make sense. How can they have so much peace? Here's a verse... I actually preached this at my uh, stepfather's memorial. <laughs> and it's funny how it kind of shows back up when I'm teaching on grace. 
comes out of Deuteronomy. Okay, I know everybody talks about Deuteronomy. That's the second law, and that is about as much fun as reading, you know, Braille. Okay. Deuteronomy chapter 26. There is none like the God of Jerusalem. Okay, that's a Hebrew uh, for Israel. Okay. Now listen, I want you to listen to this next verse, this next line here, because this is awesome to me. All right. Who rides the heavens to your help. That's kind of like awesome. He rides the heavens to your help and through the skies in his majesty. Then you can just go over in my Bible. It's just one page. To Joshua 1 verse 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now, you understand what we're talking about here? He only rides the heavens to help you. And he's only with you wherever you go. You know what? We endure everything by His grace. He is always there. And He's always coming with His grace. With His power. That's His mercy. Isaiah chapter 43. Verse 1 and following. This one is really kind of cool. But now thus says the Lord, your Creator, O Jacob. And He who formed you, O Israel. Do not fear For I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. And when you walk through the fires, you will not be scorched, nor will the flames burn you. You know what's amazing about that? He doesn't say you ain't going to get through the flood. He doesn't say you ain't going to have to walk through the river. He doesn't say you ain't going to have to walk through the fire. But my grace will protect you in all. He wrote a young man who was getting ready to take on the mantle of his ministry. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 14. In its context, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief than this. And the grace of our Lord was more abundant with the faith and love which is found in Christ Jesus. You know what he just said there? My grace had so much power that even in my unbelief, it overcame me. Even though I was a blasphemer, it overcame me. Even though I was a murderer of Christians, your grace overcame it. Do you understand that, people? Why would you carry guilt in anything knowing that his grace only overcomes everything? That's all. Other than that, it's got a few things missing. You see how silly it is? And yet I listen to people say, well, you know, it's it's just grace. I watch the church today and they think God's grace takes care of the little things in your life. But when you get into serious trouble, you need professional help. 
No, man. His grace is sufficient. And I don't care whether it's a little bitty problem or a great big problem. I don't care. I don't care. And I'll walk with you through all of them. I don't care. Listen, I have seen his grace displayed. When you watch it, it's not this little, I hope he can help me here. No, he's already ahead of you. He's already behind you. He's already over you. He's already under you. And he's on your left and he's on your right. And his grace is covering you. Why don't we live like that? Good Lordy. Am I allowed to say that? Yeah, whatever. (laughs) Edit it. Listen, I want to try to kind of wrap this thing up because this is the center. We always talk about Jesus is our cornerstone. Amen. And the foundation is the apostles. Okay, we got that done. But what is the center of the Christian life? God's grace. God's grace. It's not this imaginary, boy, I hope he's watching. No, it is his power over his people for every. Every circumstance. That is the Christian life. It is Christian living. You are going to have trouble. Did you know that? It's part of what this life is. But you need to know that that trouble is useful because it will reveal your spiritual condition. It will make you humble. It will draw you to him and it will display his grace. We will have trouble. And yet God doesn't promise to remove it. But he promises enough grace to overcome it. The word sufficient there in the original language means enough. Paul, you have enough grace. But you have enough grace. I don't care what the problem is. I don't care what the trouble is. I don't care what the heartache is. I don't care if it's emotional. I don't care if it's spiritual. I don't care if it's physical. Guess what? There's enough grace. Listen, I, we, we've got TV shows now. We call them reality shows. And I'm still on trying to understand that. But life is real. I don't need to go turn a TV show on to figure out what's going on in life. Life has nothing but pain and disappointment and sorrow. And you know what? Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God doesn't remove it, but God does cover it in his grace. Listen, now I want you to think about something here for a second. Okay, and I want to close this because I don't want you to miss this. All right. We started in chapter 10 and we'll go through 13 and there's an over-encompassing thing that deals here. And it's called spiritual warfare. I've listened to a lot of people try to tell me what spiritual warfare is and we've bought Hollywood. You know, we've got little ghouls or gremlins or demons or whatever running around and uh, you can spot them because they got the pitchfork and the horns and the tail. Okay, so I always know a demon when I see it. Okay, that's not it. That is not warfare. It is speculations and lofty ideas that are raised up. And let me tell you where the attack is. 
It isn't what the Supreme Court's doing. Okay, it's not what the federal government's doing. Okay, it is in our seminaries and our churches. They're raising up speculations. Okay, listen. Our enemy, the devil, spiritual warfare, he wants you in a place where you don't need God. Now, I'm not talking about lost people. I'm talking about saved people. I want you so content, so comfortable, so complacent that you do not draw near to God. Your spiritual condition is not revealed. I don't want you drawing to Him. And you know what? God loves you so much, you should be boasting about it. Because if He loves you, why would you ever want to be humble? Because see, if you don't need God, how does He display the power of His grace? Those who would teach prosperity today, whose message is that? Just a question. God wants us humble. God wants to expose our spiritual condition. He wants to draw us to himself. He wants to display his grace. The greatest glory of the Lord is seen in our trials and our persecutions. A quote here I have is that the blood of the martyrs becomes the seed of the church. Watch the grace of God because he cranks it up. I don't care what valley you're in. I don't care what trial you're in. I don't care if it's spiritual. I don't care if it's emotional. I don't care if it's physical. You know, one of the things that I have learned in my study of scriptures and in my own walk I can't measure grace. It's not like a grace barometer or something. But one of the things that I've seen, whether it's in Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, or in my own life, there is always more than enough. Listen, grace, God's grace, is that energy that transforms us. Please understand that. I watch people who are trying to memorize the Bible or whatever they're trying to do, you know, get into, does a trichotomous dispensationalist be prone to Gnosticism or something really, you know, this is what I'm doing. Uh, you listen to it on the end times. Is this the end time thing? Is this the end time thing? Is it, and, and you watch them all get around. But the thing that I have watched that will always transform a soul is God's grace. It's God's grace. God's grace is a blessing of God that will change the way you think. It will change the way you act. It will change the way you conduct yourself. And it will actually give you a new character. And it doesn't, is never ever based on how much scripture knowledge you've got. The key is, I'm in this trial. Will I 
see my spiritual condition and say amen and become humble to say amen? And will I draw myself unto him and say amen? And will I watch his grace be displayed and say amen so that his power is perfected? That's why James says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Okay? The prosperity that we believe that we are due is the message of Lucifer. All right? Make a note. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your grace. The power of your grace. And that it completely overwhelms us. Lord, I thank you. Thank you for my brother Paul who went before us. Who followed you. And Father, I pray that each of us will bow our knee so that when you reveal our spiritual condition, we can say amen. When you make us humble, we would rejoice. When you draw us to yourself, we have an overwhelming desire to stay there. Father, that we are willing vessels to have your grace displayed. And the Father, we would watch the power who spoke existence into being be perfected in these earthen vessels. To you, my Lord, my Savior, my King, thank you in Christ's name. Amen.